views and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. Conversation reparations, conversation reparations, conversation reparations. Welcome to our regular scheduled show on reparations, giving you an update on what's going on in the reparations movement, and as we'll also give you background and like to say our story about the reparations movement too, so you can be grounded from current as well as the past and into the future. Uh, my name is Brother Jumoke Ife Tayo. I currently serve as the Southeast Regional Representative of INCOBRA, the National Coalition of Blacks for Reparations in America, as well as hopefully we will have Sister Bonita online, who's our female co-chair of the Atlanta chapter of INCOBRA. And so we have a really exciting show lined up for you today. Um, we have some of the the most, I don't know, I think the most historical, the most powerful, the week ever for reparations um, since I've been working in the reparations movement over the last 20 years, which was Juneteenth week. And so so we're going to talk about it. We're going to get into it. So let's, so let's just sort of, um, wow, so we just go, we'll give you some of the highlights and then we're going to go deeper and deeper into some of them. So June 19th, is the day where uh, our ancestors found out in Texas and in, in, in Galveston that they that the Emancipation Proclamation had been in effect for two and a half years, and they were free. And one of the things that they did is they began to celebrate, and and they had um, come came together and had celebrations. And that tradition in Texas and Oklahoma and other places in that area in that region of our country took on and and they continue to perpetuate that and then later on in later years people in other parts of the United States we began to hear about these Juneteenth celebrations and we began to join with them matter of fact we have a in the last five years we've had a very 
powerful Juneteenth celebrations right here in Atlanta. And um, and we even have a Juneteenth parade now, and it's grown and grown and grown every year. So on June 19th, of we're going to call it the June 19th in Reparations Power Week. So June 19th, we had a webinar sponsored by the Fellowship of Reconciliation. And that, that webinar was 12 noon Eastern Standard Time. And as a part of that webinar was to give people information about reparations so that they could then go in their community later on that day and have a conversation with their community on reparations. And that was called a night of a thousand conversations. We hope that hundreds of people took that initiative on and had reparations conversations in their community. In addition to that, I was also worked with the Movement for Black Lives, which also has a, a reparations task force. They have a six policy platform statement that they support, and reparations is one of those six. And so the reparations subcommittee that I'm a part of with the Movement for Black Lives decided to do a Juneteenth webinar also on June 19th at 7, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. However, I think the real uh, big, big historical event that day was the hearing that was held in Washington, D.C. I, I had the privilege of being there uh, in Washington, D.C. I was not able to get in the actual room. I heard there was as many as 700, 800 people that were um, attempting to get into the room, so they actually had not one but two um, overflow rooms where we could watch it on the TV monitors, the hearing. So this was a hearing on H.R. 40. H.R. 40 is the reparations remedy bill that's been updated as a reparations remedy bill from a reparations study bill in 2017. And that bill is, was recently introduced by Sheila Jackson Lee for the past 30 years it had been introduced by Congressman Conyers every, every year since 1989. So we want to lift him up even though he's not in Congress anymore, we're going to lift him up for being a bold um, pioneer and, and putting uh, our reparations demand in Congress in 1989 and every year since. However, now it's been picked up by Sheila Jackson Lee, and it, if you understand the government process a little bit, it, those bills, they start in committee. So H.R. 40 sits in the Judiciary Committee, and then there's even a subcommittee of the, sub, of the Judiciary Committee. So it was that subcommittee actually that hosted the hearing on H.R. 40. Hearings are very important because what hearings do is that they give credibility for bills. What I understand is that uh, hearings are held to, as an example to the Congress and to the world of what makes this bill um, important or uh, will have an impact on a large number of people. And so hearings are held. Um, so the hearing was held. There was what's called witnesses who who spoke in support of the H.R. 40 and different Congress persons who serve on the Judiciary Committee asked those witnesses different questions. Um, one of the lead uh, witnesses was Brother Ta-Nehisi Coates, who uh, wrote an article in 2014 in the Atlantic uh, Magazine that got a lot of attention about reparations. Uh, also, Danny Glover was on that. I was one of the, one of the witnesses also who spoke in favor of reparations, 
And actually, the Republicans had two um, witnesses, um, kind of insignificant. We won't even need to mention that, but um, we always just did, but insignificant. And uh, uh, Dr. Julia Malvo, also um, a key um, witness a, uh, on that uh, profound um, economist and um, did a great job on that commission as well. Uh, Dr. Eric Miller was, uh, I believe, a law professor. Um, a couple other people were on the commit on that um, on the witness as one of the witnesses on the uh, hearing for HR 40. So actually, at this time, what I'm going to do, what we're going to do, is that we're going to hear a clip from Ta-Nehisi Coates, who gave the opening remarks for uh, at the hearing. So uh, we're going to go ahead and just check out what he had to say. Um, most of this you can find online, the entire hearing you can find online, as well as you can find excerpts from different people who spoke at the hearing as well. So let's go ahead and, and hear from Yesterday, Brother Tanahasi Coach. When asked about reparations, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell offered a familiar reply. America should not be held liable for something that happened 150 years ago since none of us currently alive are responsible. This rebuttal proffers a strange theory of governance, that American accounts are somehow bound by the lifetime of its generations. But well into this century, the United States was still paying out pensions to the heirs of Civil War soldiers. We honor treaties that date back some 200 years, despite no one being alive who signed those treaties. Many of us would love to be taxed for the things we are solely and individually responsible for. But we are American citizens, and thus bound to a collective enterprise that extends beyond our individual and personal reach. It would seem ridiculous to dispute invocations of the founders or the greatest generation on the basis of a lack of membership in either group. We recognize our lineage as a generational trust, as inheritance. And the real dilemma posed by reparations is just that, a dilemma of inheritance. It is impossible to imagine America without the inheritance of slavery. As historian Ed Baptist has written, enslavement, quote, shaped every crucial aspect of the economy and politics of America, so that by 1836, more than 600 million, or almost half of the economic activity in the United States derived directly or indirectly from the cotton produced by the million-odd slaves. By the time the enslaved were emancipated, they comprised the largest single asset in America, $3 billion in 1860, more than all the other assets in the country combined. The method of cultivating this asset was neither gentle cajoling nor persuasion, but torture, rape, and child trafficking. Enslavement reigned for 250 years on these shores. When it ended, this country could have extended its hallowed principles, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness to all regardless of color. But America had other principles in mind. And so for a century after the Civil War, black people were subjected to a relentless campaign of terror, a campaign that extended well into the lifetime of Majority Leader McConnell. It is tempting to divorce this modern campaign of terror, of plunder, from enslavement, but the logic of enslavement, of white supremacy, respects no such borders. And the god of bondage was lustful, 
and begat many heirs, coup d'etats and convict leasing, vagrancy laws and debt peonage, redlining and racist GI bills, poll taxes and state-sponsored state terrorism. We grant that Mr. McConnell was not alive for Appomattox, but he was alive for the electrocution of George Stinney. He was alive for the blinding of Isaac Woodward. He was alive to witness kleptocracy in his native Alabama and a regime premised on electoral theft. Majority Leader McConnell cited civil rights legislation yesterday, as well he should, because he was alive to witness the harassment, jailing, and betrayal of those responsible for that legislation by a government sworn to protect them. He was alive for the redlining of Chicago and the looting of black homeowners of some $4 billion. Victims of that plunder are very much alive today. I am sure they'd love a word with the majority leader. What they know, what this committee must know, is that while emancipation dead bolted the door against the bandits of America, Jim Crow wedged the windows wide open. And that is the thing about Senator McConnell's something. It was 150 years ago, and it was right now. The typical black family in this country has one-tenth the wealth of the typical white family. Black women die in childbirth at four times the rate of white women. And there is, of course, the shame of this land of the free, boasting the largest prison population on the planet, of which the descendants of the enslaved make up the largest share. The matter of reparations is one of making amends and direct redress, but it is also a question of citizenship. In H.R. 40, this body has a chance to both make good on its 2009 apology for enslavement and reject fair-weather patriotism, to say that a nation is both its credits and its debits, that if Thomas Jefferson matters, so does Sally Hemings, that if D-Day matters, so does Black Wall Street, that if Valley Forge matters, so does Fort Pillow, because the question really is not whether we will be tied to the somethings of our past, but whether we are courageous enough to be tied to the whole of them. Thank you. All right, that was Ta-Nehisi Coates, the distinguished writer in residence, Arthur L. Carter, Journalism Institute of New York University. Uh, as I mentioned before, also on the panel with him was Danny Glover. Also on the panel was Katrina Brown. Katrina Brown <clears throat> made the movie Traces of the Trade. If you're not familiar with that, it's a good movie to check out. She discovered um, that her family was one of the largest um, families in terms of the slave trade, and and so she she put together and I she put together uh, her family on took them on a trip on a pilgrimage to discover their family's history and their contribution to the enslavement of our ancestors. And they went to Africa, also they went to Cuba. And so she has been an advocate for reparations um, ever since she's been learning, uncovering her family's stories, a European-American woman, Katrina Brown. Also, uh, brother, Right Reverend Eugene Taylor Sutton, an Episcopal Bishop of Maryland, was also on the panel. As I mentioned before, Dr. Julian Malveaux, economist, as well as Professor Eric J. Miller from Loyola Marymount University, and like I said, well, the insignificant Republican uh, members of that committee. So, you know, there's there's criticism on 
you know, are always with anything, you know, on both sides. You know, some people feel like the witnesses weren't strong enough or we should have had some, you know, historians and, you know, uh, well, you know, in Cobra, we feel like we should have had someone at the table. The last time there was a hearing, which was in 2007, um, there were six witnesses, um, and I think the Republicans didn't even put a witness up, but there was uh, six witnesses, and two of those six were actually um from Encobra, one being um, Reverend Dr. Joanne Watson, and the other one being uh, Khabibi, um, ooh, I'm forgetting her last name, but she was very active with Encobra at that time. And um, so we um, watched the uh, hearing in the room, and, you know, we we were a lively bunch of cars, you know, and... Um, People were making their comments, and and so I think we this was a, again this was a very historic step in getting um, reparations and getting HR 40 moved forward. At the time of the hearing, I believe we had around uh, 60 co-sponsors, and we actually have never really had more than 30 or 40 co-sponsors to HR 40 um, since the hearing. Uh, we're up to 90 co-sponsors. The last time. Um, I was uh, updated by our legislative commission and Cobra's legislative commission. We were up to 90, and the goal was to go was to get 100 co-sponsors before they break, they recess in August. A lot of people, um, Congressman Kynes has told us before that if we got at least 100 co-sponsors, that any bill with 100 co-sponsors is a very high chance that that bill will pass through. So that's been our goal, and we're we're um, or less people away from that goal at this point. So we're, we're excited about that. We're excited about the hearing and the, uh, again, the elevation of the recognition of H.R. 40 based on that hearing. In addition to, um, in addition to those who were on the panel, there were some other people who also spoke, um, the author of, of the, um, well, the author or the person who's carrying it forward, at this time, Congressperson Sheila Jackson Lee spoke, but also uh, Congresswoman Karen Bass spoke. And um, we wanted to balance. We're going to check out what uh, Congresswoman Karen Bass said on, at the hearing as well. Oh, uh, yes. Before we go to the clip, I just wanted to give your co host an opportunity. I didn't know if you knew. Um, that Sister Bonita had joined us, uh, but okay, thank you. You're welcome. Hi, everybody out there. The reparations conversations. Let's talk. I yield to the uh, I yield to the gentlelady from California, Ms. Bass. Thank you very much, Mr. Chair, and all of the witnesses that are here today, and Representative Jackson Lee for doing this uh, legislation. And, um, I, you know, I, this is just such an important moment in our history. But I just wanted to spend a, a couple of minutes talking about how we have viewed this issue and why we're even having this hearing today. Uh, it's so important because I believe that in this country we have never been able to come to grips with our history. We either don't know our history or we deny it. When we talk about the 250 years 
of enslavement. We call it a sin. We call it a mistake. We say that it was a subset of Americans, not the entire nation. We say it was inconsistent with the values of our nation's founding, that it was something that happened long ago. And why can't we get past it? Why can't we move on? Why do you keep bringing it up? Slavery might have ended in the mid-1800s, but apartheid and terrorism lasted for 100 years after that. We passed a bill on lynching last week. Why did we even have to do that? There was a man that was executed two weeks ago for a lynching that took place in Texas. There are many murders that have happened that people are still wondering whether or not they were lynches. Lynching. We have to say that in our country, we pride ourselves with our development, but we refuse to acknowledge that the reason why we have the development that we do is because the first 200 years of our history was done with free labor. The South enslaved African Americans, but the North's economy flourished by that, and I believe that our economists explained in detail of that. So our fundamental problem is our ignorance of history or our refusal to admit it. We, everyone Everyone understands the pain caused by people who deny the Holocaust. Deep pain is caused by this, and deep pain is caused by our country that cannot acknowledge what has happened here. I want to say that uh, it should be obvious, but the entire Congressional Black Caucus supports this legislation. We have. We have problems denying. We think that racism, sometimes it's trivialized as behavior, as ideas, and that we're all equally racist because we refuse to accept the fact that racism is ingrained in our institutions. We say that there must have been something that 12-year-old did to have gotten shot. We say that there must have been a reason that that police officer pulled that gun on that pregnant woman last week with her our two babies. We don't see the connection between this because we refuse to admit it. H.R. 40 calls for the establishment of a commission. It does not call for checks. We trivialize reparations by saying that these are just African Americans that want to be paid. I think goes into details about reparations meaning much more than that. And then frankly, when I hear from my colleagues on the other side of the aisle that we need to be encouraged to work harder, to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, that we can actually achieve, that that's the only thing that's the problem, and then to talk about the Democratic Party, I think maybe Maybe people don't remember who Fannie Lou Hamer was. Black folks fought the Democratic Party. Nobody acts as though the Democratic Party was not a racist party until there was a movement that fought for justice. I am glad that we are having this hearing today. I thank my colleagues for doing it. I look forward to this legislation moving to the floor. And once again, I just want to emphasize at what point can we in this country have a conversation about race? We will never get past it until we can have the conversation. And the conversation begins with a commission. Thank you. All righty. That was Congresswoman Karen Bass. And one of the things that she said was significant around the Congressional Black Caucus support, because you would think that we would have the support of the Congressional Black Caucus every year, and every year we usually only get maybe 25 to um, not close to 50% of the Congressional Black Caucus members to support. But this year, again, the last update I heard is that we do actually have 91% 
of the Congressional Black Caucus members on board this time. So, you know, I want to thank Karen Bass for her leadership in getting those people on board and also wanted to uh, acknowledge that while we sit here doing this show in Georgia, we got two congresspersons that have not signed on, African-American congresspersons that have not signed on, which is Lucy McBath and David Scott. So we have some uh, work to do to get them on board as well so we can get closer to that 100. And um, now that um, Sister Bonita is on the line, I already sister talked a little bit about the Juneteenth webinars uh, that for the Night of a Thousand Conversations and also the Movement for Black Lives, and we've been talking about the hearing. But, um, well, let's let's go ahead and do this. It, we're coming up on It's Black, Black Talk Radio featuring Conversation Reparations. And um, so what, I know you wanted to share a little bit about what happened locally here in Atlanta and our um, Conversation Reparations that was led by Brother F. Keith Slaughter, well-known um, talk show, radio talk show host here in Atlanta. Yes. Hi out there. This is Benita Lacey this afternoon with Reparations Conversations. And I wanted to say we had a, we had a great time on Juneteenth, really. It started from a 12 o'clock webinar talking about the spiritual side of reparations and the spiritual healing. And then later that evening, we went to a church over in Atlanta and talked. Well, Dr. Slaughter spoke with us as well as several other people in reference to what reparations should look like, what it would look like, and what does it mean for black people. There was a follow-up conversation the next morning on his radio show, and um, we really want to hear from people in the community, people in general, what would reparations mean to them and what are two or three points that they would like to see in a repertory or a healing movement from the United States government, from institutions that have been benefited from uh, enslaved people's free labor, or forced labor, I would call it. So that's a question uh, in the conversation that I would like for people to call in, chime in, and answer. Definitely. That's one of the um, things that we definitely need to speed up in our reparations movement right now because as this bill gets closer to being passed, that's what the bill calls for is reparations proposals. And so we at Encobra, as well as other organizations that have been thinking about this for a while now, we have to um, really work on crafting a reparations proposal that's comprehensive, that includes the United Nations five forms of reparations, and, you know, that includes, like you said, just ideas from our community. We know that there's a great um, uh, wealth of information and ideas in our community about what healing could look like, what healing should look like for people of Africa descent from slavery and into the present time right now and into the future. So that is definitely one of the, uh, we will definitely will engage you in these conversations in future episodes around what forms of reparations, what for, types of, repar- what, what forms of reparations could take. So I want to, um, shift gears a little bit now and move from talking about the hearing to talking about the 30th annual National and Cobra Convention. And again, you're listening to Black Talk Radio, the special show, Conversation Reparations. And so this was the 30th 
national convention for Encobra. And again, to me, you just, some things just, I believe, just get, you just get certain blessings from the ancestors in doing this work. Uh, initially, we had decided last year that we wanted to tie our convention to the theme of recognizing the 400 years, but not from a celebratory perspective. So we actually themed our convention this year, 400 Years of Terror, a debt still owed. And then we have pictures of different eras of our history from being on the enslavement ship and enslavement all the way coming up to through the civil rights movement and, and the last picture being a picture of Trayvon Martin. So 400 years of terror, a debt still owed. And when we were thinking about the convention, I was kind of pushing for us to have it in Virginia because that's where the first enslaved Africans were bought or in that story, as I say, in British America, so what's now Port Comfort or Fort Monroe, Hampton, Virginia. However, and so I have been meeting with some of the former Encobra members in, in that region in Virginia, in the Tidewater area, in the Newport News, Hampton, Virginia area, to see if we could put together, uh, re-put together the, the chapter and to host the convention. Well, that didn't quite come together, and um, the female co-chair of Detroit, she put on the table having the convention in Detroit. And so, I, again, I started just listening to the voices of the ancestors, and I was like, well, Detroit is actually a great place to have it. And I thought about the fact that um, Conyers, as I mentioned before, who is turn, would be turning 90 right before our convention, that I asked Reverend Joanne, had we ever honored him? And she said, no, we've, he's come to our conventions over the years. He's or sent a representative to our conventions, but we've never taken the time out to honor him. I said, well, we've got to do that. And so we worked very diligently to have him to come to our convention. As I said, he's 90 years old. And uh, we invited him out, and he did come to our convention, and we did give him an honor. And, his, and he spoke as well as his son spoke, uh, very powerful. And uh, also, if you know the story of Conyers in H.R. 40, and you also, and people in Detroit, and other people may know the story of reparations, Ray Jenkins. And he was given that name because he just, everywhere he went, he would raise the issue of reparations. I understand he would disrupt school board meetings. He would disrupt city council meetings and talk about reparations. And, and, and he always raised that issue. And he, he pushed Conyers to put a bill in around reparations. And then around the same time that the Japanese got reparations, um, Conyers did take him up on putting forward a bill on reparations. Uh, right after he drafted that bill and Cobra had just formed around that same time and so he he gave a copy of the bill to Cobra for us to um, to get our blessings and, 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 and critique of it and then he put it in Congress and been as I said earlier has been introducing it every year since then. So Detroit and that's where Reparations Ray Jenkins was from, he had made his transition exactly 10 years before 2009 and also in Detroit is the, is the 50th anniversary of the Black Manifesto. And uh, we hosted an event in Atlanta um, honoring and lifting up James Foreman in the Black Manifesto, which he introduced at Wayne State University in Detroit. So you had these different markers in Detroit. And I said, wow, okay, Detroit is it. And so um, we moved forward at having it in Detroit. And little did we know at that time that um, we were able to reach out to through our uh, elder, Baba Conrad Worrell, to 
invite Minister Louis Farrakhan to come. And Minister said that he would consider it, but he did say that he wanted to officially endorse our convention, which he did do. He also said he wanted to show his support by using his media arm to support our convention, which he also did do. There was an article that came out every issue in the final call uh, around reparations and advertising our convention, as well as our convention was live streamed courtesy of the Nation of Islam webcast operations, as well as um, Native Islam also provided security for our convention as well. So we're very thankful for the minister and his support. And then, and then about a month before our convention, he told us that he was definitely wanting to be at the convention. So we also felt like it was appropriate to honor him for his long-term work in the movement. I think he's he's in his late 80s. He told a few jokes about almost being 90, so I don't know if he's 88 or 89, but he's right up there. And uh, so I thought it was very appropriate that we also honor him for his long-term work, as well as the work of the Nation of Islam. And so we he we gave him an award at our banquet, and he was also our keynote speaker at our community report back town hall meeting on Saturday, and all of that was live stream and televised. So um, let me get into our convention a little bit more. Also, I've kind of given you the the big highlights already. So, but um, so Thursday we begin with our board meeting and we also had a reception at the St. Regis Hotel. If you ever been to Detroit, the St. Regis Hotel is a premier, very, very nice um, African-American owned hotel. And um, the press came out and the uh, we were, uh, had a very nice uh, a reception with local people in Detroit as well as the people that came to the convention um, came to our meeting and greet reception. And then Friday during the day, we were at the Charles Wright Museum, again, a premier museum in the United States. If you haven't been there, I encourage you to check it out. It was the largest African-American museum before the uh, African-American Smithsonian was built. And um, very, very um, nice facility. And we began with our drum call and opening libation from Chief High Priestess Dr. Oshun Dara Nefertiti, um, opening remarks by Reverend Dr. Joanne Watson. We had a powerful welcome from our national co-chairs, and we have a male and female co-chair, but we're going to play uh, here from our national male co-chair at this time, his um, welcoming remarks to the NCOBA Convention. In any Basically, in the Osir Society tradition, in the Kemetic tradition, I basically stated that I submit to the supreme being who comes in the form of the creator of all things. I want to start off by thanking uh, everyone who came out to, the, to this convention and thank the host of uh, 
Detroit, uh, all of the venues, the Charles Wright Museum, the Timbuktu Academy, which we'll be meeting tomorrow, uh, Fellowship Chapel, where our banquet will be held tomorrow, tonight, and also um, Birch Marketplace, where we'll be having a keynote speaker by the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan. I'd like to also thank the Nation of Islam, who is providing live stream capabilities for us. I want everybody right now, if you can, take a minute to text your friends and family and let them know that they can go to NOI.org or in CobraOnline.org, and they can view the entire convention uh, via webcast. Again, on behalf of the Nation of Islam, we want to thank uh, them for providing that service. Our theme for this convention is 400 Years of Terror, A Death Still Old. Mm -hmm. There's many people who want us to celebrate us being here for 400 years. If there's anything we can celebrate is that we can celebrate our resilience and our, uh, our desire to, to survive the many forms of atrocities that have been committed against our ancestors and that are still being committed against us today. In this convention, we want to, we have two major thrusts that we want to come out of this convention. The first one is this whole notion of what is reparations. Under international norms, there's, a, there's no ambiguity about what reparations is, and reparations is full re, repair. We need to know in this country what is, are the components of full repair, and you're going to find that out today. And so when we leave here, we want to be all talking on the same language. Reparations for us means full repair. That's right. And full repair on international law must wipe out all consequences of the injury, all consequences of the crimes. And so that's the major thrust, the first major thrust that we want to take from the convention. What is reparations? And what are those components that the international community, the global community, has agreed upon of what reparations outcomes should achieve? The second major thrust we want to leave here with is an action around the two commission bills. There's a commission bill. H.R. 40 to establish a reparations commission in the House, and there's a commission bill S-1083 to establish a reparations commission in the Senate. And collectively, uh, if, those, uh, if that legislation is passed, we will get a commission to begin the process of outlining what is full repair, as in COBRA has worked that language into the commission, into the legislation. And those are the things that the commission must accomplish uh, as we determine what reparations is as a people. So there will be a national action that we're going to roll out during this convention. We want, we want everyone here to, to participate in that national action, to know that that national, national action has taken place. I want to call attention to the program book. I want to call attention to the program book. In the program book, you have an outline of what we're going to be uh, doing over the convention, but you also have, this is a commemorable book, we also have essays by some of the leading intellectual scholars and activists that have historically worked on this issue of reparations. They've all agreed to submit a contribution that speaks to our theme, 400 Years of Terror, Death Still Old. We have Honorable Dr. Conrad Well, Honorable Woo! Minister Louis Farrakhan, Malefi Asante, Ajuwaya Terrell, one of our co-founders of Encobra, and Kichi Taifa, another co-founder of Encobra, and many others. So this is a very commemorative book to, to, to take back with you. We have a few other copies for sale if you want to take some back with you and share with your uh, families and friends. 
Also, on the back of uh, the program book is an ad by Third World Press Foundation. Third World Press Foundation is the oldest black publishing company in America. Uh, they've been very uh, generous, as all of the black businesses and organizations that we reached out to has been very generous in our assistance to have this convention. Third World Press, there will be a, a, a table out front where uh, we'll be offering books for sale from Third World Press, and, and a, a large part of those proceeds comes to this organization. So we're not just selling books for them. They've given us a means to have revenue for, this, for us to do this, this work, and it takes revenue to do this work. So we don't want to take any of those books back to Chicago with us. So we want you to buy those books. As well as uh, make sure you go and, 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 and visit the vendors. Visit the vendors. Uh, we have to support black businesses, and especially those that are supporting us. So we want to make sure that you go and visit the vendors. There's been much said about this being a spiritual work that we're doing. Our theme is 400 Years of Terror, a debt still old. I was in Washington, D.C. a couple of months ago. We were doing, Kenneth and myself, we were on the Hill trying to drum up senatorial support for S-1083. And as I was driving, I rented a car as I was driving that morning, I had about two or three hours before my first meeting, for our first meeting. And I saw a sign that said Mount Vernon. I said, Mount Vernon? And, and the Spirit told me to go to Mount Vernon. Now, I, I never do um, tourism places I go, but my Spirit told me to go to Mount Vernon. Vernon. It's the home of George Washington. And I knew there had been 300 uh, Africans, at least, that were enslaved on that plantation. And I went there, and I wanted to commune with the spirits of those Africans who were on the plantation of this nation's first president this founding criminal, because those are criminal activities that took place in our, uh, amongst our ancestors. And I was there. They have a beautiful burial ground exhibit at Howard University uh, uh, placed there in, 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 in to honor those Africans who were buried there. But as I was leaving, going back to the Venice Visitor Center, there's, there's three exhibits. And one of the exhibits are directly related to the Africans who were on that plantation. And up on a mylar were the words of an African who said, our daily existence is an existence of terror. Whoa. That was confirmation on why I went there, and it was confirmation for all of us to know that our ancestors are with us. We didn't just come out of the blue and say, 400 years of terror, death still old. We were led by our ancestors. And there was confirmation with that brother's statement. Our ancestors are with us. This is a spiritual work. It is physical, as Brother Charles Farrell said. It is physical, it is moral, but it is also spiritual. Know that our ancestors are with us. Thank you and welcome to our convention. All right, so that was Brother Cam Howard, the National Male Co-Chair of INCOBRA. I just thought that was a really powerful testimony wanted to share that with with you all. So we will continue on in just talking a little bit more about some of the highlights from our convention. Uh, we had reflections from last year's convention. We feel like it was important not to just go from convention to convention, and we felt, you know, it was decided that we need to have some continuity, those uh, programs or ideas or initiatives that were put forward in the last convention, which was held in Baltimore. So we had... Um, 
Dr. Ray Wimbush, who hosted us in Baltimore, as well as Attorney Ajwaya Toro, one of the founding members of INCOBRA, to, to remind us of, of the programs and initiatives and agreements that we had come up with in the convention last year and what the status of them are now and how we're moving them forward still. And then we put in each day we wanted to have some reflections from our elders. And uh, so we got some powerful words of history and wisdom from Dr. Conrad Worrell. For that, we moved into our luncheon, our legislative luncheon, which is where I mentioned earlier, where we honored um, John Conyers. We also honored, I mentioned reparations, Ray. His son came, and so we were able to give him an award as well to honor his father and his father's work, and he talked a lot about, he gave us good um, some good stories about his father and reparations, Ray Jenkins. So to me, that was very special. We had John Conyers and reparations, Ray Jenkins' son, as well as we had um, the nephew uh, of Imari Obadelli, uh, his nephew, attorney Maynard Henry, who was also a lawyer and an activist lawyer, and Imario Bedelli, for those who don't know, was the founder of Encobra, as well as one of the key founders and visionaries of the provisional government of the Republic of New Africa. So we off, we lift up Imario Bedelli uh, and his contribution, and we did that through uh, some words from his nephew, Attorney Maynard Henry. Like I said, I think the ancestors, as Ken said, were really just blessing us and, and opening doors for us throughout this whole convention and giving us signs that we were on the right path and doing good work. So I'm going to speed this up a little bit. So in the afternoon, we had a series of workshops, uh, and COBRA has developed something called the five injury areas, and these are areas that uh, we feel that people are of African descent, you can group our collective harm. So that, that would be those five injury areas are education, health, wealth and poverty, peoplehood, nationhood, and criminal punishment. And as Cam spoke about the United Nations definition, it's also five forms of reparations. And so what we did was we correlated those five remedies or five healing forms with the five injuries. So we had a workshop from education to satisfaction, Satisfaction being one of the five injury areas from health to rehabilitation. Rehabilitation being the, excuse me, I said five injury, being one of the United Nations five forms of reparations. Wealth and poverty to compensation. People and nationhood to restitution and criminal punishment moves us into cessation and non reputation, meaning how we end the crime that's being raised against us today. So, and from there, we went to our banquet uh, where we had a keynote speaker, which was Greg Mathis. And again, another connection through um, Dr. Joanne, Reverend Joanne Watson. She's, she's really, really a powerhouse in Detroit. And um, I always kind of knew that, but I really didn't know how much so until we did this convention. And... Um, all the doors that she was able to open for us and the people that she was able to bring to our convention uh, and all kinds of resources that she was able to connect us with so that we could have this great um, convention in Detroit. So, as I said, at the banquet, we had our keynote speech 
from Judge Mathis, where we also recognized him. And that was also, like I said, where we gave an award to to Minister Louis Farrakhan, the Dati Mari Obadeli Queen Mother Audley Moore Lifetime Reparations Achievement Award. And he said some words there as well. And actually, the whole banquet was very well planned and elegant. We had African dance troupe and libations, and um, the whole event was um, a very nice affair. And moving into Saturday, Saturday again, we began with our drum call and libation, uh, opening prayers. And Saturday plenary, we primarily talked about uh, HR 40 and SB 1083. We talked about what are the um, giving more people giving people information about those bills and also information about how to lobby and what is our game plan or how we're moving forward to getting more people on board in support of SB 1083 and HR 40. And also, I also spoke about how one of the initiatives that Encobra is doing, how we localize this effort in getting local cities and, and organizations as well as states to pass bills in support of HR 40 which will and, and SB 1083, which will build up a momentum for it becoming uh, coming a law, becoming into existence. And then Saturday afternoon, we had a we have our some of our business meetings. We break down into regionals. Areas so we have southeast region, southwest region of the United States, uh, Midwest region, northeast, and the west coast. And we break down into different regions, all the people who live in those regions, and strategize on different ways to do work collectively in our region and how we can support each other. And from there, we have our general membership meeting. And this year, we is the first year, several years ago, we we named uh, our general membership meeting in honor of Bobby Mari Abubakari Obadeli. But this year, coming out of our last meeting, we also decided to add Queen Mother Dorothy Benton Lewis as to be honored as naming the general membership meeting. So the general membership meeting is in honor of Imari Obadeli as well as Queen Mother Dorothy Benton Lewis. And after our general membership meeting, we went to. Uh, very fine uh, establishment in Detroit. Again, one of the largest. It takes up a whole block of restaurant and nightclub and uh, meeting space. Uh, I don't know if you call it a meeting space. It's a huge space <laughs> that's hold about over a thousand people. And that's where Minister Farrakhan addressed us on our theme: 400 years of terror, a debt still owed. And then Sunday. As we always do at our Encobra conventions, we we do ceremony. We go usually outside, sometimes to a plantation, sometimes to the river, sometimes to the ocean. This time we went to a farm that sits inside of 2,000-acre uh, parks, and um, we did ceremony to honor our Native Indigenous ancestors. We actually had some of our Indigenous First Nation brothers and sisters that came and uh, provided us with songs from their tradition and prayers from their tradition and blessings from their tradition. And we had a fire. We built a Native American uh, small mound um, and we pour libation. And we do those things to ground us and to uplift ourselves, to heal ourselves, to connect with the earth, to connect with the 
elements to connect with the land, to connect with the uh, our ancestors. And so that ceremony was on Sunday. And some other some people also attended um, West Side Unity Church, which is the church where Reverend Joanne pastors, and some of the um, conference goers and convention goers also attended her um, Sunday church service as well. So that is um, a pretty much a wrap. You like to add anything to that, Sister Bonita? I don't know. I thought I saw um, Shante on the line. Shante, do you have any questions or anything? I, I think, I she, she, I think she dropped off. Oh, she did. Oh, okay. So I, I don't have any additional thing to add except for I would like for people, the audience out there, to spread the word that um, white congregations and white congregant leaders perhaps needs to um, have training so that they know how to engage in the conversations with um, grassroots organizations and black-led organizers and in a respectful way and how to go back to their congregation so that within the congregations themselves, they know how to really respectfully deal with a reparative mode of reparations within their congregations and their communities. Yes, that is so important. We are looking to work with allies. At one point, there was an organization called CURE, Caucasians United for Reparations and Emancipation. And it really would be good if we had an organization like that now that was still active. But in lieu of that, we can still work with those allies, European allies in, in churches and, and other organizations like coming to the table and surge showing up for racial justice and other organizations and formations that are really sincere about racial reconciliation, which must include reparations. So yes, we are in, inviting you to uh, come to the table, inviting you to get involved in this movement. If you're already uh, having, particularly if you're already having conversations around reparations, we like to work with you and helping help you to deepen those conversations and help you deepen your actual work and activity towards reparations even beyond the conversations. All right, so we um, uh, just again just had a, a in in review again this very powerful week um, for reparations. Uh, I'm still um, decompressing from it all and it was um, so much that happened those few days from, from Wednesday through Sunday, June 19th through the end of the Incorporated Convention um, actually also need to also like to quickly lift up the National African American Reparations Commission also had a, an event after the after, after the hearing on June 19th at the uh, at an AME church in Washington, I was trying to, I had to fly for that, uh, and now I don't see it. However, they had a um, very um, awesome gathering as well with Sir Hillary Beckles, who's the leader of the Caribbean Reparations Commission, and he's a, just an excellent uh, speaker, and uh, as well as they had several panels as well. Uh, many of the people who were part of the hearing actually also spoke at the NARC 
gathering or forum that preceded the hearing, people like Dr. Julia Malvo, I mentioned, as well as um, Katrina Brown, of Traces, who made the movie Traces of the Trade, I mentioned earlier, was also a part of the hearing. They were all there at the um, NARC um, forum as well. So, And then there was even another event, which I didn't make it to that one, which was the Washington Bar Association it also had like a mini conference on reparations on the same day. And so uh, just a lot, a lot of energy focused on reparations on June 19th. And we're going to continue to um, be uplifted and inspired by the energy and continue to do the work to move us um, towards reparations and healing and justice. All right, I guess we could just close out with some music at this point. And yeah. we'll see you next time. Conversation reparations. Conversation reparations. Conversation reparations. Reparations. America bounced the check, and no, it ain't all about the dough, but my people still pull reparations is due, so just give me what you owe. No, we won't renounce the debt, America bounced the check, and no, it ain't all about the dough, but my people still pull reparations is due, so just give me what you owe. Capitalists are the enemy, but we get treated like the villain when prison is homicide, cause they making a killing, and war generates more loot, so that's why Bush is going off, half cocked like Joey Butterfield.